them as a church. They work to prepare pastors and Christian workers who minister there in, that, in the community in Central and Latin America where they speak Spanish pretty much only. And so Rio Grande Bible Institute is a strategic place they're preparing these men and women to serve the Lord. I was there with a group of about 20. And uh, we would leave from McAllen, Texas and jump in a couple minivans and drive across the border into a town called Reynosa. Um, I'm told that they don't do that anymore. Reynosa is right across the border from McAllen, but they don't go there anymore to minister from Rio Grande Bible Institute because it's so dangerous. The drug trafficking and the drug activity and the, the gang activity in Reynosa is so, so bad now that they can't go there and minister. Just too dangerous. But that week we could. And it was a great adventure, I tell you, it really was. To see um, believers there in Reynosa um, spoke a different language than me, had a different background than me, had looked different than me. They, they used different words than I did, but they were there loving the Lord and loving our community. The pastor's name, I've mentioned him before, his name was Israel Valdez. He and his wife were there with three little kids and ministering in that community. And I remember one morning, I, I was there at the church. I think we had maybe stayed the night there in the, we'll say, fellowship hall, kind of, the basement underneath the sanctuary. And that early morning, I was out on the front stoop there on the, the city street of Reynosa. And I noticed across the way from me was this, every, every single home there on this street was surrounded by a concrete wall. A concrete brick wall. Every single, every home had a, had a concrete brick wall around it. And when they made these walls, what they did was, when they, when they, you know, they, they built the block wall, and on the top they would fill it with concrete, and they would take bottles of different type, like you know, maybe beer bottles or, or pop bottles, and they would put them in the, in the concrete, in the wet concrete, and then as the concrete hardened, they would then come through with a stick or a baseball bat or something and break the tops off of every one of those bottles. So now what you had was across the top of this concrete structure, these broken, jagged glass bottles all over the top of the wall. Have you seen this before? How many have seen that type of thing before? Yeah. Well, I'm sitting there on this one particular morning, and I noticed this cat up on top of this roof. It climbs down off of the roof, you know, like walking around, I don't know if it's looking for a mouse or what. But it was in its territory. You could just tell. You know, you know how cats have this attitude, like, I own this place. You could see it written all over his face, okay? And it jumps down onto that concrete wall, jagged, broken bottles all over the place, and walks just very carefully around the broken bottles. And I mean, he just like that, and out, and he goes. And I sat there for probably, I don't know, 30 minutes, just happened to be sitting there. You know, that stupid cat just did that back and forth several times. He'd go back one way and the other, and just back and forth, like he owned the place, you know? But he was so careful walking around those broken glass bottles. Now it's there, it's the, the glass bottles are there, as a means of protection. But they harm you if you aren't careful. I mean, they're very dangerous. You don't want to fall on one of those, right? But that cat was amazing to watch it walk 
circumspectly. That's an old King James word, okay? Put it up on the screen for me, would you? Daniel. We're going to talk about, and this is, a, this is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And Paul, when he's, when he's challenging us as believers, he says, so then, watch that you walk circumspectly. Now that's a word we don't use very often. Okay? I wanted to make sure I had the definition of it. Okay? Because I never use it. It means to be watchful and discreet. Cautious, prudent, well considered. Paul says we should walk, and that means to live, in this world, fallen as it is, in this way. Watchful, discreet, cautious, prudent. We've been studying through the book of Daniel. And we are seeing what it is for a man of God to live in a world that opposes God and to walk circumspectly. To walk cautiously. To walk carefully, but to walk purposefully. That cat knew where it's going. And he was going to get there. But he had to walk very carefully. I want us to be challenged as we see the life of Daniel. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We're going to look at them today from Daniel chapter 3. That's where you're going to go. You turn to Ephesians 5. In reality, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. You should find that in your Bible. We're going to be looking at the lives of these men. We've been walking through this study. We've spent about four weeks in Daniel now. Today we're in Daniel chapter 3. Probably one of the best stories in the whole Bible. I mean, what a great account this is. I mean, it's just a legendary story. Just awesome. But it's, it's part of a bigger, grand story about a few men who live as new men in a world filled with dead men. These new men who are living in a world filled with old, dead men. We have to recognize that we live in a world populated by people who the vast majority of them do not know Christ. They don't know the Lord, the vast majority. Nearly every study that's done finds that fewer than 10% of the general population in America are truly born-again believers. Know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Have put their trust in Jesus. Realize that they were a sinner looking to the cross of Christ alone to save them by faith alone, through grace alone, born-again, regenerated believer. Nearly every study that's ever done says less than 10%. I did a study one time, surveyed 73 middle schoolers at Hedgesville Middle School, general population, asked two questions. Do you believe in heaven? Number one. Question number two, if so, how can you end up there? 73 people, 73 sixth, seventh, and eighth graders completed that survey. Do you believe in heaven? If so, how can you go there? Went through these surveys, every single one of them. Put them into two different piles. One pile was anything where the word Jesus was listed. If they said the word Jesus or the cross of Christ or, or anything that even just remotely pointed to Jesus, I put them in one pile. One pile. The rest all in the other. Okay? Of 73, you know what it was that day? 6%. 6% of them had any answer that pointed to the gospel at all. 
6%. That's just a general cut of the population. That's how it is at your workplace. That's how it is at Walmart. That's how it is at the ball game. That's how it is on the team. Now, some of you might, might work in a place or you might go to school someplace where the percentage is a little bit higher. But don't you misunderstand what that means for you. You need to understand that no matter where you are, the influence of the world is there. Folks, the influence of the world is right here. You say, you don't believe me? Oh, really? Then what went through your mind early when you looked across the room and you saw him or her? And you had a feeling of envy in your heart or lust. That is the influence of the world. We are to be a bright light, a city on a hill. But all of these terms that Jesus used for us living here in this culture assumes that we are living in a world that is vastly populated with people who are opposed to God. We must walk circumspectly, carefully. Daniel is giving us an example of of, and his friends, of what that looks like. And we need to learn lessons from it and be encouraged by it. Let me review what's happened in the book of Daniel. Okay, let's review what's happened. We're in the Babylonian um, culture. We're in a territory that's run by Babylonia. The king is Nebuchadnezzar. He is a narcissistic man. He insists that everybody worship him. He is so big-headed, literally, he thinks the whole world revolves him. And in reality, in this time period, We're talking about 560 B.C., so about 500 years before Jesus came on the earth. Babylonia is ruling the known world. Arguably, you could say that Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, is the most powerful single man in any time on this planet. You could easily argue that this is the moment, the highest one individual of any time. When the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar a vision at night in a dream of the kingdoms of the world that included the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, the Persian Empire, and the Babylonian Empire, who was the golden head on top? It was Nebuchadnezzar. He's the man. He is ruling the world. And at least in his mind, there is nobody bigger. And into this world comes many young Jewish, as far as we know, boys. Young men. Some commentators think that maybe as many as a hundred or more were brought out of Jerusalem and landed in Babylonia and they were then indoctrinated with the thinking, the pagan thinking of the Babylonians. And of these hundred or so young men, four rose to the surface. We're at that number again, folks. We're at that percentage again. Out of a hundred, four rose to the top. And they are, they are living for Christ in a pagan world. They have stood for Jesus and God has elevated them in position and given them opportunities that are amazing. But the culture that they are in, let, let me describe the, the culture that they're in. It's a pagan culture. What that means is they are following, this, the culture in general is following a whole host of different gods. Most of the gods revolve around several things. Materialism, so having belongings for yourself. Materialism, your intelligence, so what you can think about and the knowledge that you have and sensuality or sexuality your body, and the lust of your flesh. Does that not sound familiar? 
Most of the gods had everything to do with materialism, your brain power, and your lust. Mm. And here was the general principle of the Babylonians. They would capture other nations. They would take over other lands. And they would then bring some of those people back to Babylonia. They would kill a vast majority of those that they, that they were attacking or enslave them. But they would bring some back to Babylonia. And they would indoctrinate them. And this is how they did it. They would say, you can keep your God. You can keep your culture. You can keep some of your dress. You can keep some of your food. You can keep your worship method. That's fine. On one condition. On one, you can have what you had before on one condition. You must accept our gods, outwardly accept our gods as first. You must outwardly express that our gods are first. You can keep yours. You can privately go in the other room and worship your God. But publicly, you must voice that ours is first. Wow. Does that not sound familiar? When they wanted to capture Daniel, when they wanted to trip him up at the end of his life, they said, the only way we can do it the only way you can trip him up is he's got to do something with his God. has to be something in, in regards to his God. So, king, let's make a rule. Let's make a rule. For 30 days, for 30 days, you can only pray to and worship our God. For 30 days, only our God. And the king said, yeah, I like the sound of that. Now, what does that indicate? What was the... Normal practice other than those 30 days. You can keep your gods. Just outwardly express that ours is acceptable, is first, and bow down when we tell you to. The culture that Daniel is in, the culture that Daniel has been taken to, deposited there, Invested there. Strategically placed there. Where the great sovereign chess master has placed Daniel is much like ours. It is much like ours. And you're there. And we're there strategically ready to communicate who our God really is. Now you've got to recognize, and I'm going to put some things up on the screen here, that show that, you know what? Many of us are going to have to make a choice. We're going to have to make a choice. The, the moment is coming your way where you're going to have to say, No. No. My God is my God. I'm not going to hourly express an acceptance of yours. It's coming. Let me just show you some headlines, okay? 
This is from this week, August 22nd, 2016, from the Religious News Service. The group sounds good, but they're very, very liberal in their theology. Here's what they say. The middle ground is disappearing. It turns out that you're either for an unequivocal social and legal equality for the LGBT people, or you're against it. And your answer will at some point be revealed. The article goes on to say, neutrality is not an option. Neither is polite half-acceptance, nor, nor is avoiding the subject. Hide as you might. The issue will come and find you. Isn't that true? We don't need to cower in fear. We're strategically placed here. I'm telling you, our culture is ripe for a revival. It is ripe for a revival. When people like us live out Christ in our world, I'm telling you, our culture is going to get everything they think they want. Free sex, yours. Sex with anybody, yours. All material blessing, yours. And you know what they're going to feel at the end? When they have it all, you know what they're going to say? It doesn't deliver. It didn't work. And then they're going to look across the neighborhood and see you. You love your wife. You love your husband. You love your kids. You love your neighbor. You're full of joy. You have Christ, and that's plenty. That's enough. That's all you need. They're going to see you. And they're going to come to you and say, hey, what's the reason for the hope that is in you? 1 Peter 3.15, I'm prepared for this moment. And you will share. Do not be chicken little. Oh, the sky is falling. No. No. We are in a huddle, and we are going out of this huddle because God is going to win this game. There's more. There's more. This is from a year ago, okay? I want you to notice, this is in the New York Times, April 2015. Frank Bruni, he is a very, very, just um, very progressive in his thinking. He is very, very pro-everything against God, okay? Here's what he says. So our debate about religious freedom should include a conversation, now listen to these words, about freeing religions and religious people. He doesn't mean religion as in a bad thing like, you know, we're not religious, we have a relationship. When he says religious people, he means us. He means us. Let's go back up. Our debate about religious freedom should include a conversation about freeing religions and religious people from prejudices that they needn't cling to and can indeed jettison. That means get rid of. Rightly bowing to the enlightenments of modernity. Hear what he's saying? We can, we can get rid of these old archaic ideas. Get rid of these ideas that there is an author of life and what is right and wrong. You can jettison that archaic idea. We're, we're now to the place he's saying in our culture that we can understand that those things are, are old-fashioned and no longer, no longer true. Religion is going to be the final holdout and most stubborn refuge for homophobia. It will give license to discrimination. What is he saying? That's the most radical statement of the, of the article. It doesn't go any further than that. It's a long article. I gave you a piece of it. 
We are followers of God, strategically placed in the culture that we are in. But for every one of us, there's going to come a time we're going to have to take a difficult stand and not bow. I think I got another one. Um, this is from this week, September 1st, Washington Post. Okay? I don't have the article for you. I have a response to the article by a guy named Albert Moeller. The article said, California legislature poised to criminalize distribution of Planned Parenthood type sting videos. Here's what this means. You guys remember when that group came in to a Planned Parenthood organization and they had a secret camera and they talked to the people about selling the body parts of aborted babies and they were secretly doing it. Okay? Used to be, good, used to be called, like, you know, good investigative reporting. Used to be the kind of thing that, that we would root out people that were doing wrong things, like Watergate and that kind of thing. It's now illegal to do that in California. It is now illegal to root out this wrongdoing in one area. And that is in these medical facilities to perform abortions. California has made this law for that, for that little place that you, can, you are not allowed to do that anymore. Only there. Listen to what Albert Moeller says. Aborting a human baby in the, room, in the womb is not wrongdoing. No, 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 no. That's not wrong. Okay? Tearing apart the baby in its mother's womb, that is not wrongdoing. No, no, no. Everybody toe the line. Say it after me. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to abort. It's not wrong to tear the baby apart. That's not wrong. No, no, no. Targeting the way that the destruction of the unborn child is undertaken, now that is classified as wrong. This tells us a great deal about the society in which we live at this moment. One more, one more quote. This is from a, an apologist named Peter Kreft. Okay? You might want to write this down so you can think about it. You might want to think about what this means. Be egalitarian. Now, egalitarian, the definition is relating to or believing in the principle that all people are equal and deserve equal rights and opportunities. Egalitarian. All people are equal. Okay? Kreft says, be egalitarian regarding persons. We are to be accepting of all people, especially believers, especially the body. We should be most accepting of all people, regardless of anything about them, regardless of their race or their background or, or anything about their practice. We should be most, most, most accepting of all people. But Kreft says, but be elitist regarding ideas. Now, what does the word elite mean? That's kind of a negative word, okay? Elitist means to consider something superior than another. Here's what Kreft is saying. We must be accepting of people, but we must also understand that there is truth. There is truth. Are we willing to stand? For God's truth. Not your preference. Not what you like. But stand for truth. Let's go to Daniel now, okay? That's enough warm-up to Daniel. Daniel chapter 3 is where we're at. 
I want us to see a contrast today between how the old man operates and the new man operates. Or the old self and the new self. Old self, old man, I'm using this to characterize those who are outside of Christ. Old man, old self, those that are not believers. New man, new self, those that are believers. I'm basing that on Colossians chapter 3. You can look at it later and understand what I mean by old man and new man. Just know that old man are those without Jesus. And you need to know that every one of us, apart from Christ, are the old man. Before you were in Jesus, you were the old man. You were the dead man. You were the old self. You thought, you operated, you acted on one premise, and that is opposed to God. Every old dead self man or woman is opposed to God. It's just how we function. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. When we got that idea, whose height was 60 cubits, that's about 90 feet, and its breadth was 6 cubits, that's 9 feet. So this thing is an 8, 9 story tall building. It's a giant statue. Okay? It's called here an image. It's literally, it's, it's actually the word that means face. Okay? It is, a, it is a giant statue, very likely, of Nebuchadnezzar. 90 feet tall. Nine feet wide. Very strange human standing there in a gold image. He set it up on the plain of Dura. We know where that is. It's 16 miles outside of Babylonia, Babylonia city. It's 16 miles outside. Okay? It's there on a, on a level area. You better see this thing from a far distance away. It's not in Babylonia, though. It's 16 miles outside. In the province of Babylon. Babylon. Verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps. There are seven different groups that he's going to point to here. The satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We're going to have a party. This thing is made of gold, Very likely it was covered by gold. Very likely it was a brick structure, 90 feet tall, okay? Then covered by a a layer of gold. I don't think it's any coincidence that Nebuchadnezzar just had that dream where he saw a giant statue, very similar to this one. But remember, he was just the gold head. And then another king was going to come after him. So Nebuchadnezzar, who at the end of chapter 2 was talking about, oh God, you raise up kings and all this stuff, he decided, you know what, I'm going to raise up myself a king. So he doesn't make something made out of four different metals, he makes something out of one metal, gold, and it's him. And he calls all the important people all together and says, meet me on the plain of Dura, let's go. And they head out. Verse number 3. Then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here's what I want you to understand. The old man is perpetually, that means always, making idols for himself. It's what the old man does. John Calvin, that old guy who died a long time ago, said that man's heart is perpetually an idol factory. We make idols 
in our lives. They're not always big statues made of gold, no. Often they have four wheels, or a front door and a back door, or they have a bunch of little eyes that look up at you and smile at you, or they have, you know, George Washington's face on them, or some other president. We come up with our own idols. We fill our life with them and we worship them. We worship them. Man is a factory perpetually making idols. The old man is, not you the new man, no. The old man is, but the old man does. All right, keep going. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, verse number three, verse number four. And the herald proclaimed, so this guy gets up and shouts out loudly, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Where do those people come from? These are captured people that Nebuchadnezzar has gone into other lands and brought them back. And so there they stand. Red and yellow, black and white. They're all there. And Nebuchadnezzar calls all them through this herald. And this is what he says. When you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Worship me. He says, worship me, bow before me and worship me. I am worthy of your worship. Affirm me publicly, bow before me. I find this almost humorous, what the next verse says. If it wasn't so sad and troubling, it would make you laugh. If you think about what Jesus said about worship, That he wants us to worship him in spirit and truth. Maybe this verse will help you understand what he meant by that. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar did. You are commanded to bow, right? Verse 6. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, that'll motivate the room, won't it? See why Jesus said worship in spirit and truth? Not an obligation. Okay, I'll bow. No. Not inauthentic. Are they watching? Okay. See, that's old man worship. Bow before me. I don't care what your heart really believes. You just toe the line and say the right words. Keep your personal belief to yourself. You say what you're supposed to say. You've been trained. Say it. Say it. Say it. Come on. And there... For them to see is this burning, fiery furnace. We've found those furnaces. Archaeologists have found these things. They kind of look like one of those old milk bottles, okay? That's how they were shaped, all right? And the top was open. And the reason for that was you could throw precious metal in there and it would smelt it. The heat would would make it into liquid form, and then you could use it to do whatever you wanted to do. Or you could close the draft down, okay? And you could use it now to cook bricks and make them hard. And so there's Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you bow before me and worship, or you're going in that furnace. And folks, it's right there for them to see. And you could hear it pulling the oxygen from the air. Burning, burning, burning. 
It's a horrible way to, way to die. The Code of Hammurabi, which is from Babylonian culture, had burning to death as a regular means of punishment for capital crimes. This is something they did. Jeremiah chapter 29 mentions Nebuchadnezzar killing two people by burning them alive. It's something that they did. And right there is this, this kiln burning. It's convenient. It's horrible. And there it is. And there you stand. And you can hear it. And you can see it. And you can smell it. And he says, I don't care what's in your heart. You bow before me right now. And you worship or you're going in the top. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trijon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the image, the golden image, that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Man is always making these idols. And I want you to feel that everybody now bows. The whole place Boom. When the music goes, they all bow. Notice it says there okay, that they're all doing this. They're all bowing before it. Let me just point out one thing that's interesting. Okay? You want to find something interesting? In verse number 3, okay, in verse number 3, notice in verse 2 and 3, the exact same set of seven words is listed out. Satraps, satraps, prefects, prefects, governors, governors, counters, counters, treasurers, treasurers, justice, justice. Got the idea, right? Did you know that in Septuagint, what is that? That's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay? In verse number three, it doesn't list all those people again. It doesn't list all those seven officials. Those that were translating the Septuagint said, oh man, I'm getting tired of writing this. Do you know what they wrote? The aforementioned is what it says in the, in the Septuagint. The aforementioned. So rather than listing them all again, okay, that they're all there and that they all worship, rather than going through it all, it says the aforementioned were there as well. And I think they miss it. They, I think they made a translation mistake. God's Spirit wanted them all listed again. The, all seven groups are there. And you're there and you see them. And it lists them out. Okay, you know, the president, the Supreme Court, the Congress, the senators, the mayors, the governors, they're all there. And now you're standing there, and we go through this list again. And you see the governor, the senators, the congressmen, the Supreme Court, the president. It's all listed again. You'd see it in your mind again, let me tell you. You'd hear that list in your mind again. I want you to feel what these young men are feeling as everybody bows down. But not new men. Not new men. They courageously stand with their God. You see, we got three young men. And they had towed the line on many things. They had learned the culture. They had learned the language. They would learned the literature. They had risen in power. They would risen in prestige. They were men of influence. God had used them. God had placed in a position where they could influence their world. They were good workers. They were, they were, they were quality people. 
And God had raised them up in this kingdom of pagans and they were, they were strategically placed where they were. They were known as men of excellence. They did their work and they did it hard. And they were the hardest working, the most reliable men of all. But even for them, there was a line. There was a line. Let's read on. It says here in verse number 8. Therefore, at the, time, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Their flattery. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tribes on the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There it is. Blowing, you can hear the, the air drifting through the draft as this thing heats up. There are certain Jews. There's anti Semitism here. Certain Jews. You hear the disgust in their voice. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So there is jealousy and envy and coveting. You hear this maliciousness, this hatred in their voice? You've raised them up, these Jews. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. They have done the bidding of the king. They have served the king. They have done everything as unto the Lord, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. They have done that. This is a lie. This is what, this is what the old man does, though. The old man lies in his accusations. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, they stand up. Verse 13, let's move on. What else does the old man do? The old man... He's forcing acceptance of his selfish views. Watch what Nebuchadnezzar does here. Nebuchadnezzar, furious rage. Furious rage. I mean, he is fit to be tied. Literally, it just says he was full of fury and he was full of rage. He is out of control now. Okay? And notice what it says here. He's furious at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he asked them to be brought. All right? So they brought these men before the king. And watch this. False offer of grace. There's going to be a false offer of grace. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image that I set up? Is that true? Now, it's a rhetorical question. He knows they don't. There's no time for an answer here. He knows they don't. Everybody knows that they don't. The Chaldeans who came accusing, they know. They all know that they don't. You see, what they believe really doesn't matter. In this false, tolerant culture, what they believe really doesn't matter to the old man. All that matters is that you voice acceptance and keep your personal views to yourself. That's all that really matters. Now, If you are ready, 
When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. What a threat. This isn't worship. This is not worship. This is a denial of their God, is what it is. Deny your God. Deny Him. He said you shall have no other gods before you. Deny Him. He said you shall not make a graven image. Deny Him. Deny Him now or in the fiery furnace. And just in case you don't understand what Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, the Spirit of God gave us this last verse, this last sentence. It's really a question. He says, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? The challenge has been laid down. I've got a question for you. Where's Daniel? Where is Daniel? He's been the man. He's been the leader. He's the one that went to the chief of the eunuchs and said, hey, don't make us eat that food. He's the one that led those men to, to follow God. Where's Daniel? He's the one that went to the executioner and said, hey, why are you rushing? Why are you rushing? Give us a little bit of time. Daniel's the one that called all the men together. All four of them said, fellas, we need to plead for the mercy of God. we got to pray. Daniel's the one who then went back to the king and said, king, the only way you can get your dream is if God gives it to me. And you know what? He did. And he speaks. Where is Daniel? Well, we actually know. Look at 2.42. I'm sorry, 49. The last verse of chapter 2. Daniel made a request of the king and appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Where's the king's court? Smack dab in the middle of Babylon. Where is this statue? 16 miles outside. Where's Daniel? The Lord has kept him at home. And now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't have their man, Daniel. They don't have their man. They don't have this guy that they've been following for the last two, three years of their life. You know all they got now? All they have is God. That's all they got. And God's going to show them they don't need Daniel. You don't need a Daniel in your life. You say, I'm the only believer at my place. I'm the only one at our school that actually wants to stand up for Jesus. I got nobody else. Oh, yes, you do. We got you. You are there. God has now invited these three men who were in the background. These three who were there falling behind Daniel. Go, Daniel. Go, Daniel. Go, Daniel. Go. Now they're going to have to do it. They have to stand up. It's you. It's you. Yes, you can. God can enable you through His Spirit to be the one. You have to be willing. You have to step out. 
I'm not going to be there. Dad's not going to be there. The upperclassman at your school that last year lived for Jesus, but now is off in another college someplace, he isn't there. So it's your turn. It's you. It's time to step up. I'm not at your home, Dad. I don't, I don't, I'm not there to answer the questions that your kids ask you. You're not going to call Pastor Lowe and say, hey, where's Daniel at? No. It's time for you to step up. It's time for you to study your Bible. It's time for you to be the man. Mom, he's at work. You're there. Wife, he left you. You take the stand. Son, daughter, your parents don't know or love the Lord. They don't put Him first. You step up. You see the story here? Daniel's not there bowing. No, sir. He's back in Babylon. If you want to trick him up, the only way you can do it is mess with this God. Daniel chapter 6. Check it out. He'll go to the death. He'll go right to the death. He'll walk proudly into the lion's den. Trust me, if he was there, he'd be standing. He's not there. God didn't want him there. God didn't want him there. Okay, let's keep going. We're going to run out of time. Oh, man. What's going to happen? All right. Nebuchadnezzar now is furious with rage. Commands them to bow down. Verse 16. Best two verses in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You're not our king. You're not our God. You're just a man. We don't have to answer you. But for your sake, we will. We will. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Don't worry. Don't worry, Nebuchadnezzar. God is able. He can, he can protect us. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. That's what He wants. But if not, be it known to you And remember these words as you watch me burn in the kiln. You remember this, Nebuchadnezzar, as you are demanding worship of yourself and you're looking forward to watch me become nothing but a pile of ashes. You remember these words. We're not bound. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. We will not bow. We will not bend. And we might burn, but we don't care. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. What are they going to do? Kill us? So be it. I'm with Jesus. That's fine with me. Go ahead and take my life. You're doing me a favor. I'll be with God. Man, the courage of these men. The courage of these young men. And they didn't... Listen, you need to understand. This is not a one-time thing that they happened to be at at the right moment. They did the right thing. Do you know how long it takes to build a 90-foot statue in 560 B.C.? Me neither, but it's a long time, okay? It takes a long time. And they were leaders in the province. They knew what this was for. Don't you think, that, don't you think for a second that their persecution started at this moment and was going to be over in just a second. They had been intimidated. They had been discriminated against. They had been treated differently for months as this thing was built. And the Chaldeans came to them and said, Hey, you guys getting ready to bow? or burned. They knew what was coming. They knew what was coming. They prepared their heart. They prepared their heart. You see, 
You are not going to step up to the plate and do something miraculous when the bullets are flying if you're not living it in everyday life. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Folks, men, if you're not the kind of man who will stand up in the little things of life, you're not going to be the kind of man that when some madman walks into the theater with a gun, that you rush and tackle him and stop it. You're not going to do that. You're going to cower the same way you do in your home. It's the truth. It's just the cold, hard truth. In those moments where the fire is hot, you don't become a new creature at that time. You reveal the man that you have been fostering and growing for a lifetime. Foster him now, men. Foster him now, women. Foster him now, children. feel kind of passionate about this. I'm sorry. Nebuchadnezzar, he is filled with fury. The expression of his image is what it literally says. The word image in Hebrew has been used like 18 times in this passage. Boom, image, 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 image. Build an image. My image. Babble my image. Babble my image. And now, in verse number 19, it's the last time it's used. Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his image changed. He hated. He hated them. And his fury is going to unleash. He ordered the furnace now heated seven times hotter. The kilns had a draft. I don't think this means that, you know, they had some little nerdling there, you know. Okay, the temperature is now 1,800 degrees. Seven times, that's not what it was. Seven times is an idiom, and what it means is as hot as possible. Make the, just turn the draft so this thing is a, an, an inferno. Archaeologists have estimated that these kilns would get up to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Water boils at 212, okay? I mean, boom, gone. See, it's irrational. If he wants to punish them, turn the heat down, right? He's out of his mind. He is out of his mind now with rage. The guys that now bind him, they bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they cast him in the fiery furnace. You know that's so hot that even the executioners die. They're bound now, verse 21, in their cloaks, their tunics, their, their hats, and their other garments, and they were, as, as, a, as, a man, as a unit now, all three are thrown in. Three of them, over and over again. Three, three, three. Listen, they counted the cost. They counted the cost, and they did not know at this point. You need to understand, they did not read the end of the story, and the vast majority, the vast majority of those who are thrown into a fiery furnace burn to a crisp. That's what happens. I've got a quote for you. If I can find it. Give me a second. For, the 20, for 27 years, the International Bulletin of Missionary Research has published an annual status of the Global Mission Report, which attempts to quantify the world Christian reality, comparing Christianity's circumstance to those of other faiths. And they determined the number of martyrs in the year. For purpose of the research, 
The report defines martyrs as believers in Christ who have lost their lives prematurely in situations of witness as a result of human hostility. The report estimates that there were on average 270 new Christian martyrs 270, now this is in 2011, and so there are 270 new Christian martyrs. Wow. Every day. Every day. Every day. Usually, martyrs die. But God did a miracle. Okay? God did a miracle. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar came to the door and found a furnace. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. You see what had happened is in verse 25. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar's words. I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Let's be clear. I don't think he's saying it looks like Jesus. He's a pagan. All he means is it it must be a god. Because where did he come from? It must be a god. Sons of the gods, meaning it's got to be a god. It's got to be a deity. I don't know what what he was. An angel? The pre-incarnate Christ? I don't know. But that day, God chose. As these men counted the cost... And Nebuchadnezzar is demanding this acceptance of his selfish views. God decided to protect them in his sovereignty. And it is a beautiful story. You see, what happens is this. The old man is always striving for God-like qualities. Because God has placed eternity in our hearts. So the old man wants to be God. And as God, the old man will be worshipped, and the old man will be the standard of truth. And the old man now wants to gather around him people who will worship him and acknowledge his truth. This is the culture we live in. But the new man, the new man now, he rests. He rests in the fact That you have God's strength. You do. You have God's strength in you. We can stand for God. And God will give you wisdom of when to step up and speak truth. And the right way to do it. In the right moment. As you and I are developing our intimacy with Christ... And God's Spirit is now connecting with our spirit, telling us we are children of God, giving us the words. When that moment comes and you'll recognize it, you'll know it. Don't worry. Your spirit, you'll know. You will know this is the moment. This is the moment. And I will not bow. I will not bend. And if I burn, if I burn, I'll be with Jesus. But even if I do, I will continue to follow our God. We need to be like these three young men, boys, boys who are models to us, men and women. Not because they were superheroes, they were not. They responded to the God 
that it indwelt their soul. The same God that you and I have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us courage. Give us endurance. Allow us to walk through the fiery temptations, Lord, that come our way and scare us. And you hold us, us, bolster us, Lord. You get the glory. We get the joy. Make us bold witness for you today. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.